Did you know that there is one activity you can do every day to transform stress, build resilience, and train your brain to greater focus and happiness, and it takes just 10 minutes a day? Well, in this episode of Untapped, where I'm all about helping you find how to tap into your full potential and optimize your life and work, we are joined by the one and only Dr. Elise Bailu. She is a mindfulness expert and a doctor trained in psychiatry. She's also the author of The Happiness Plan and the Mindful in May global campaign that she has run ever since 2012. It's taught thousands of people from around the world the skills of mindfulness and meditation and raised funds to bring clean, safe drinking water to developing countries. In this episode, I love it, we delve right into how to do meditation even if you're a complete newbie and only have a few minutes a day. But we also talk about all the benefits of meditation that continue to rock my world. And since the start of this year, I have meditated every single day using the Insights Timer app with guided meditation, bar six days total. So I'm pretty proud of myself. This is the best attempt I have made at incorporating meditation and mindfulness into my life and it is making a profound difference. So I really encourage you to listen into this episode. Also, you can watch the full vlog interview if you'd like and I will link to that in the show notes that you can find at nataliesisson.com forward slash 012 because it's episode 12 of the Untapped podcast. Now make sure you dive into this and if you would like to join Elise on her five days to mindfulness free challenge, you can head across to nataliesisson.com forward slash mindful and the link will be there for you. Enjoy. Welcome to Untapped a weekly podcast where you can learn, apply, and share how to go beyond your human potential to live your best possible life. Join me, Natalie Sisson, on my personal challenges and experiments, including training for triathlons, as well as my interviews with inspiring everyday people who've pushed through their own mental, physical, and entrepreneurial boundaries to reach their full potential. Welcome back to another episode of Untapped, where we're all about living up to your potential. And I am delighted and thrilled to be bringing you my friend, Dr. Elise Bailey today, who is just amazing and has taught me so much about meditation as just one factor that she is an expert in, but also just about how to live a beautiful, happy life and also how to build a business around all these factors, which I think she's done an amazing job of. So we're going to dive into all that, but welcome, Elise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. We've got the Aussie and New Zealand contingent in the house today, which is pretty <laughs> exciting as well. So if you would love to just share a little bit about your background and then we'll dive into some juicy questions that I have for you, but just give the listeners and the watchers a little bit more of a taste of who you are. Well, to begin with, I am a mum. I have a three-year-old daughter and um, that sort of takes up quite a lot of my time. Um, but before that, I was training as a doctor. I trained in psychiatry. I was drawn to that career because I was really fascinated for a long, long time, since as long as I can remember, about the mind and the brain and understanding how we can live our best life, essentially. So I went into psychiatry. However, as I moved through that training, there was, I guess I didn't fully understand what the career entailed. And I discovered that I was learning a lot about 
what to do to help brains and people that were in crisis, you know, to come off the brink of suicide or real despair. But I wasn't actually learning a hell of a lot about what a highly functioning, optimal brain mind looks like and how we actually sustain that. And so I went on a bit of an exploration. I was kind of living two lives at the time, going on different trainings, and I did get quite into meditation. This was something that I'd been introduced to by my mum, who was a psychologist. So I had a little bit of priming around it, but it wasn't really until later down the track where I started to experience my own sense of stuckness and not quite being in the right place. And also just dealing with the daily traumas that was sort of the bread and butter of being in psychiatry that I stepped into meditation. And as I did, I got deeper and deeper into it. And being sort of someone who respects the science, discovering the science around meditation fueled my interest and passion. And then one thing led to another and I sort of did this unexpected hop, left my career in psychiatry and actually started a global online meditation campaign called Mindful May. And that was about six, seven years ago. And I've been doing that ever since, haven't looked back. Um, and then that's led to other things as well, but all in this field of how to, how to help people flourish and how to actually train our minds so that we can use them at, at their highest potential. Oh, I love it. So juicy. So perfect <laughs> for this topic. What was the first age that you actually did start meditating? I mean, that's great that your mum introduced you to it, but how old were you? Can you? Yeah. So I just remember from the time that you started reading books, like proper books, I remember my mum had the bookshelf full of John Kabat-Zinn, Jack Cornfield, Sogyal Rinpoche. So I would just sort of flick through and I remember being pretty young and discovering Sogyal Rinpoche's book, The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which is a, not a light read, especially when you're, I don't know, 13 or something. And I remember mum taking me to a conference that she went on and I actually remember my first meditation was with a group of Tibetan monks and I was just this kid sitting there and the meditation was actually a meditation on dying and uh, so it actually was a really really profound experience and that was sort of my first taste into it and then after that it was kind of sporadic until I got a bit older and, and, and dived into it. I have to also say I spent a long time which I'm sure many people can relate to reading books about meditation but not actually doing meditation I think that's a common resistance because it's like intellectually I was very interested in it but actually getting my bum on the seat and being still was highly challenging for me I think I was avoiding it for as long as possible yeah and I'd love to talk about that throughout this interview because I know there's all sorts of meditation that don't necessarily require you to be sitting and we can bust through some of those myths but I love that your very first meditation experience was with Tibetan monks. I don't think many people can say that. That's That must have been really, really special. And I, like you, have taken, I probably have done less reading about it, but let, more learning about it and listening um, about meditation, watching videos. It's kind of one of my favorite ways to learn. And then doing a whole lot of bum wriggling and lying down and walking and all sorts. Um, and I think yoga has been the biggest entry for me into meditation because I feel it sets me up really really well to be able to then sit with my thoughts um, and I'm a big fan of guided meditations but I also know how important it is to just is all sorts so maybe we can dive straight into some of your favorite things about meditation and more importantly I guess what does meditation mean to you because I know you've talked about this topic you've written books about this topic you teach it but really what is it for you what does meditation mean 
you know, I, I agree with you when you say that meditation isn't just, doesn't have to just be sitting down and closing your eyes and meditating. However, I do feel that I, I see meditation as a real tool to develop the mind into its healthiest, most fit way of being. And I really feel that the metaphor around physical exercise and, and, and psychological mental fitness is very helpful. So, you know, just like if you want to reach your highest physical goal, like you, you, we were talking before about you doing a half Ironman, which is mind blowing, you need to train the body and you'll be doing that through intensive training sessions, but you'll also be probably just enhancing exercise in your everyday life, just incidentally. So I see the same with meditation. There's ways of doing intensive training. So this can be through sitting meditation or going on longer retreats, uh, which is almost like a boot camp for the mind. Um, but then it can be around how you bring your attention to everyday life activities. And it really, the, the meditation really is a practice of attention training. So where normally our minds, you know, it's called the monkey mind, we're flicking between the past and the future where, you know, research says we're pretty much only 50% of the time are we actually present to what we're doing in our lives. So meditation is... Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't surprise me, but that is so scary. It doesn't surprise you, but but what's actually I should add to that the the research was by um, Daniel Gilbert. Um, you can look it up. But what was more interesting than that was that this mind wandering, which is happening about fifty percent of the time, is actually associated with less happiness. So the the study concluded that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind, and so the very nature of wandering and the way that the mind does that, it tends to pull us into thinking that just isn't that helpful. So whether that's just ruminating on the past or getting stuck into to-do lists and just actually stressing us out. So coming back to your question, what is meditation? For me, it's a really, it's a rigorous form of mental training and it has, you know, a, a very clear pathway. You're not just sitting there closing your eyes and relaxing and blissing out. It actually requires effort and discipline. And I think most excitingly, there's so much research that actually supports that this is transforming your brain, your body, right down to actually the level of your genes. So it's, it's certainly, you know, it's not a woo-wah kind of thing. It's pretty hardcore and rigorous and certainly has very uh, measurable effects. Wow. I'd love to dive into a little bit more of that research if possible, but I, you've just made me 100% more excited about it by saying that it is a form of mind training or exercise for the mind. Because as somebody, as you said, who's training for triathlons, it, it does make so much more sense to me. And my little breakthrough in 2019 is that I have done daily meditation bar three days. So that's my longest stint ever, which will probably seem very small to you. But as somebody who's no, not at all. come back and dabbled and come back, I think I've just really committed to it this year because I, I just feel it is something that I should be able to do. I'm disciplined in so many other areas and through di discipline, you get freedom. And meditation was always this one that just kind of escaped me. And it's fascinating, even in what are we at six or so weeks in what you just said before was really resonated because throughout the day now I'm taking more breaks of just being present and just stopping and embracing the moment and being really grateful for it and meditation along with immediately doing writing some gratitudes in my journal I tend to find I'm being grateful way more throughout the day I'm just like gratitudes are popping in my head and I'm thinking on people and I'm 
being grateful to them and I'm sending them love and then I'm doing it again at night. And it's this beautiful spiral of it coming together. And you can probably speak to the science behind that, but it seems so simple yet so effective. And that's what blows my mind about it. And you do need the discipline, but once it starts, it's so, I feel it's really quick to see the, the effects of it. Yeah. You found that yourself as that. Thing? Yeah. A hundred percent. I think a few things there. I think first of all, what you were saying about, why did it, it took you a while to get into the rhythm of doing it regularly? And I think an important point to highlight for the listeners is that it's really important to have a strong why. I mean, we hear about this in business, but with meditation, so important to be really strong in your conviction of why are you actually doing this? Because there's so many things that we all have to get done in the day. And if you don't really know why you're doing it and you don't have that motivation, it's just not going to happen. And so I would love to actually offer a, a few highlights from the research because I think when people hear this, it's, it just kind of blows your mind and it, and it makes you realize that I think there's a big myth that people go to meditate and they think that it's about sitting down to kind of experience a good feeling, to feel calm, blissed out. And for a lot of the time, it's not like that at all. Like you sit down and you meet this mind that's kind of out of control, agitated, <laughs> feels uncomfortable. And if you think that meditation is about finding peace and calm in those meditation moments, you're really missing like a huge part of the point of it. So I just want to clarify that really it's not about meditating to get good at meditation or bliss out or feel calm. It's actually meditating to get good at life so that this training that this form of attention that you're developing seeps into every aspect of your life, into your relationships, into your work, your capacity to negotiate, your clarity and your ability to actually tune into your intuition and know when you need to make different decisions to get more aligned with what you're passionate about. So the research, so a couple of my favorite studies, there's literally thousands coming out each year. Okay. But I think, um, you know, the fact that we know that if you do this practice regularly over a two-month period, you're actually, uh, you're actually growing that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that we all have heard a lot about now, which is, you know, the CEO of the brain. And that is really about the, the part of the brain that manages your attention and your focus, but actually more excitingly, your emotional regulation. So your ability to manage your own emotions, to actually sense your emotions when they come up, when anger is there, when fear or anxiety, and actually be a lot more skillful at calming yourself down when you're under pressure, not acting out of your emotions and sort of being on automatic pilot and just saying things that get you more in a pickle. So I think that's really like, I mean, they're two skills that we, we all need in life, like paying attention because that's what learning's about and managing our emotions because that's what having successful relationships is about, being a good leader, all of those kind of aspects of our life. So that was one. Another one that blew my... Yeah, sure. Before you go on through, because thank you. That's the other thing that I've noticed is not only just more gratitude, presence and awareness and being very, very like present in the moment, but absolutely around the emotions. Like I'm a bit more of a fiery person, but I've just noticed even in the last six weeks or even since I started doing meditation, even if it wasn't consistent, just how much better I was and more able I was to manage anything that came my way. So even just driving in the car, I'd be like, thank you for cutting me off or you know just things that used to really get me I just have a little bit more space before I'd say anything or let anything out and I just found that was amazing like I was like really really noticed it 
Yeah, I think another emotion for me, and I think that would be relevant to your listeners on the theme of, you know, living your greatest potential. You know, if you want to live your greatest potential, it's going to mean that you have to experience fear because you're going to have to push your boundaries and do things that are out of your comfort zone. And I've found, you know, I think meditation is a really powerful tool to help you navigate fear and manage the discomfort of fear and, and be more courageous. So whether that's, you know, yeah, just taking more risks, more healthy risks, you know, whether it's public speaking, whatever it is that makes you feel uncomfortable, just having this as a tool for me personally has, has been really helpful. So lot, the lot, lots of different emotions that, that it helps there. And I think when you think about it as a human being, emotions are really everything. That's what makes us make certain decisions. So having more skill around your emotions is only a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Back to the next thing that you said blew your mind or the next piece of research. Oh, the next piece of research. Yeah. So um, during, so as part of Mindful May, the program that I run, which is essentially a one month program where I bring together the world's leaders in this space. So one year I interviewed Richie Davidson, who is one of the world's leading researchers around meditation in the brain. And he shared some research, I think it was from a few years ago, whereby they monitored people who were meditating for about six hours. Okay, so that's a long time. It's not the average time, most of us, but it was sort of in the context of a retreat. So over a day of intensive meditation and they took blood tests and they actually discovered that the, um, the gene expression, so we know that we're not, you know, there are some genes that are hereditary and inherited and they're on and off, but there's a whole lot of genes that have almost like a volume dial and depending on the environmental factors or our lifestyle factors, whether that's stress, exercise, sleep, nutrition, these genes get turned on and off. So one of these genes codes for inflammation in the body and we know that so many different chronic illnesses have an underpinning of high inflammation in the body. So over this uh, day of meditation, they found that the genes that were coding for inflammation were actually switched down, turned down. So the level of inflammation in the body was reduced. And that was just through one day of meditation. So again, you know, most people are not going to go on retreats, that they, they're not going to do six hours. But that just suggests that this practice, it's pretty fascinating that this practice, which you're just doing with your mind, you know, you're sitting there and you're just doing something with your mind, yet through the mind-body connection, something pretty profound is going on that is supporting a, like significant well-being. So, um, and as he said, that's only sort of the beginning. So it's a really exciting time to be getting into this because although there is a lot of research, there's still so much more that we don't know. Um, and there's a sort of like tip of the iceberg suggestions about how powerful this is. Yeah, I think um, that makes so much more sense when I think about doing the body scan meditation, which is just, as you know, very simple, starting from the head or wherever and going down through your entire body and just seeing where it's at and checking in with it. And the very act of paying that much attention to your body in sort of just a quiet space and just checking in and you're not asking it to do anything is amazing. And so it doesn't surprise me that we have the power within our mind to calm or excite centers of our body or parts of our body or be able to heal ourselves from within just by paying attention and sending those signals. There obviously absolutely has to be something there. I'm not talking yeah. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just can I share one? Can I share yeah. one more? One more oh, piece of research that I love. Yes. I could go on for hours, yeah. and that's what I do in my book. Like I, in the book <laughs> that I just I got all the research that inspired me. And I tried to sort of 
just pull it apart, sift away the bits that are not valid. Because there's a lot of research that you have to be a bit sceptical about and then put together all the research that I found compelling. But another, another one that I think is amazing. So the first one I referred to was about growing a particular part of the brain. So this one relates to the amygdala, which is generally understood to be the fear center or the emotional center of the brain. And for example, people that suffer chronic anxiety, if you put them under a brain scanner, that particular area of the brain is larger than other people. And this suggests that it's getting a stronger workout because it's worrying a lot. So as you worry more, you're repeating those patterns and then the neural pathways grow and that part of the brain gets bigger. Um, so what they found is after eight weeks of meditation, again, it was about 30 minutes a day, so it's pretty significant. Uh, but that area of the brain, there was suggestions that that area of the brain had reduced. So implying that, you know, you, you want your amygdala to be smaller because you don't want it working so hard and worrying. So again, and, and there's a lot of different studies around anxiety and depression and how effective this practice can be in terms of reducing some of those symptoms. That's incredible. I do have to ask a question there. So you said half an hour and that seems like a lot. Is that a lot? Because, you know, right now I do 10 to 20 minutes and I'm, I'm yeah. working up because I would love to be able to just easily sit for half an hour, an hour and commit to that and, and really give myself that time. But mm. is, for example, half an hour of exercise is can be done as three lots of 10 minutes. They've done a lot of research around that. Yes. Well. You know, so they've shown that the effects are pretty much the same. So moving your body for 10 minutes, three times a day. Is that similar in meditation or is the length of meditation proportionate to the beneficial effects that you're going to receive? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think that there is probably not enough research to fully answer that question. However, I actually did some research of my own because Mindfully May is about getting people to commit to just 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the research that I was reading was around uh, people doing 30 to 40 minutes. So now there is more research around smaller doses of meditation. But what my research showed was that definitely 10 minutes a day over a month was significant and produced measurable changes for people. This was a um, survey-based research. It wasn't, we weren't looking at brain scans, but definitely showed people to be uh, experiencing greater focus, um, a greater sense of purpose and greater compassion, so kindness to self. It also um, helped people to feel more positive emotions, less negative emotions, and also got them more tuned into their stress signs so they could manage their stress more effectively. I can't tell you whether doing that three times a day versus 30 minutes continuous, which one is more effective, but can definitely say that even small doses of sitting in meditation done regularly have measurable effects. And the key takeaway is it's much better to do regular, shorter and regular practice rather than say, I'm going to do half an hour, 40 minutes and just end up doing that twice a week. So it's better to commit to 10, 15 minutes, as many days as you can a week, rather than like one or two sessions of 40 minutes. There's something about that regularity. I would say that's true of anything. I think my motto for this year is consistency is key because I've even just noticed in the triathlon training, which has really taken me back to a lot of my sports routes, that I could, you know, if I show up every single day and I don't necessarily have a great training or I'm not on form or I'm tired, the point is by the end of that week, I would have kind of hit my chronic training load, even if they weren't the best quality of trainings. It's the fact that I had committed every single day to turning up 
And if you would just run once a week and then not run for another week, you really notice it. You really feel it in your body. So it's the consistency of it that is expanding the muscle in our brain and our bodies. Um, that mm. I think is absolutely critical. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Turn up once a week or every month and then expect to do super well on something. Um, yeah. You've touched yeah. on a few things there that I'm sure these are like really basic questions that we almost always have. But in terms of times of day that you should meditate, etc., is there any research that's proven around best time of day or is it really just the best time of day for you? Best time of day for you. I think the key takeaway there is, you know, just making it work for you. And I think that people... You know, people can often come to meditation with this very sort of almost religious monastic approach, like has to be the same time every day. And, you know, and I think just make it work. You know, for me as a mother now, like my practice has changed and how I fit that in. Um, so, you know, being, you know, being realistic about it and um, just some meditation is better than no meditation. So don't get too fixated. Just one point on when to meditate in terms of what can be more supportive. I think you know, the purpose of meditation is to do it. It's, it's not a, like you can use it to fall asleep at night for people that are insomniacs and having trouble sleeping. It's really helpful to do it at night when you're lying in bed and it can support sleep. But again, it's coming back to what is the purpose that you have for meditation. So if it is to sort of sharpen the mind, um, to develop greater self-awareness, greater emotional intelligence, then you really need to do it at a time where you're alert and where you can actually participate in the exercise rather than falling asleep all the time. So I would suggest choosing a time then that where your mind is a bit fresher, um, maybe first thing in the morning or, you know, maybe at nighttime, but not right at the end when you're likely to fall asleep. That is good to know because I've been enjoying the nighttime meditations and a couple of them I have drifted off, but that's actually what I quite liked about it. Yeah, and that's totally fine. Again, it's just more like why are you doing it? And, and you might do, you know, some days you might do it for that and the other days you're doing it to sort of train in attention and, and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to, you mentioned that meditation has been proven as well to untap your potential. Do you want to speak to that in the area, you know, whether that's from a personal front or, or a career work front, any sort of results that you've seen either personally or that you've seen come through in studies or even with members of Mindful and May? I can speak anecdotally to that. So from my own personal experience and then through the experience of many of the people that have done the programs that I offer, so I think for me, I was always someone that was very um, future thinking, like I sort of would be having a plan for my whole life and I, I had it all laid out there and, you know, wasn't so great at trusting, uh, you know, being in the unknown and trusting. And, and so I think for me, meditation practice really, really helped me to trust myself more because it actually builds greater resilience. You know, we spoke about sort of ability to manage fear and courage. And these are all things that build our resilience. So with greater resilience, you can sort of trust yourself in the face of uncertainty, particularly in relation to careers when you have to sort of take a risk and you don't know the outcome. So that was really helpful. And I think I really attribute that to me being able to take this leap and actually take a risk and leave my career and actually start this sort of online global movement that I had no idea, you know, what the outcome of that was going to be. So yeah, greater self-trust, I think, that supports finding your purpose. And I think I've definitely seen, so I do, so Mindful May runs for a month. And then after that, I have a follow-on program. And I support people to, it's sort of an ongoing thing. And some people have been in that process for about two years now. And there are a significant amount of people in there who've actually had really big changes. So they started off and they were 
kind of feeling a bit stuck in their workplace and a bit dissatisfied. And then lo and behold, they've just like taken a leap, found another job or started a business. So I do see this pattern of, I guess, meditation being uh, supporting your inner resources to listen to yourself more deeply, trust yourself and just trust that you're going to be able to navigate the uncertainty. And I think that's the most, I mean, it's got got to be the most important skill we can learn being humans, you know, managing uncertainty because one of the principles that comes up a lot in mindfulness is this notion of impermanence, you know, that the universal truth of impermanence being that everything is changing all the time. And as humans, a lot of our suffering comes because we're trying to hang on to something when actually by nature it's changing and it causes pain. And so I think meditation helps you to flow with the rhythm of life, which is more, you know, it's changing all the time. Yeah, it's beautifully put. Thank you. And that makes, it makes so much sense. The lovely phrase of the only constant in life is change is really one that I think I got taught by my father when I was really young. And I've embraced yeah. change so much, but I know when I speak to people, it's the last thing they want in their life. And I'm like, well, it's coming at you whether you want it or not. So as you said, yeah. can yeah. be more present to that. And by being in the present moment, I feel change is much easier to cope with because you, yes, you know, if you just look from now to where you're going to be, that change can be scary. Autonomous cars and, you know, AI taking yeah. so many of our roles. But if you're just here in the present, you get to see that change more incrementally and deal with it and be okay with it um, and as you said build that resilience or even the opportunities to embrace it so mm, mm. it's it reminds me um so Pema Chodron who you probably know of that she's a very well-known meditation teacher I recommend her books to all the listeners she talks about a beautiful phrase called discomfort resilience and she says you know meditation is really a training and learning how to stay you know and it's learning and that's where it comes back to what I was saying about when you sit in meditation, for people that are beginners, they sit and then they confront this crazy agitated mind and they think, oh my God, I'm failing at this. It doesn't feel good at all. When actually the practice is about learning to stay with whatever is, because that's how things are in this moment. And there's a lot of things in our life that we can't control. Obviously, if there's something unpleasant and difficult and we can control it, then yeah, great, make a change. But you know, if you're waiting for a medical test, if you're about to walk into a job interview and you're absolutely anxious as hell, like learning to stay in that emotion and not be thrown off your out of balance is really what meditation offers. And she calls this discomfort resilience. So it's almost like when you do meditation, if it is difficult and you can just stay present in that period of meditation, you're doing a great job. Like that's actually, you're developing your resilience muscle right there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I don't understand the trend towards everything having to be easy and comfortable these days because the best things in life usually are the ones that are a bit more uncomfortable. It does cause a little bit of suffering, but suffering that allows you to grow and stretch and move throughout your abilities and stretch yourself even further. So I really like that. And it does make remind me of when I was using the Headspace app that the English guy who's in there, Andy, would... I just used to be absolutely astounded whenever he'd go, and if your mind has drifted off, just bring it back. And I'd be like, how did you know? And then he'd go <laughs> a minute later and I'd be like, how did he know again? And then I just got really curious about how my mind was constantly drifting. And then I got really curious about bringing it back. Sorry if you can hear the dogs in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just got really, really curious about bringing it back and how many times it went off. And, and that's when I started, I think, tapping into just being much more aware. 
Mm. Speaking of dogs, there's a good metaphor there while the dogs are barking. So yeah, the metaphor, which I love when we're talking about in meditation, that's what we're doing. You know, the mind by its nature is going to wander off over and over again. That's just what it does. That's what everyone's mind does. And they talk about in the traditional ancient teachings, they have a metaphor of training the puppy. I don't know if you've heard that one before, but it's so great. So it's like you imagine the mind is like a puppy and you're trying to gently train it. So each time the mind goes off, you sort of gently say, you know, come back here, stay, but you're doing it in a kind and friendly way, not in a brutal self-critical kind of like, oh, bloody mind, come back here. You know, you're not doing it with that severity. You just, you bring patience and kindness and friendliness to this kind of wild mind that isn't trained and and just being patient with it and bringing it back over and over. And I think that's one of the myths and misconceptions that really gets in the way of people experiencing the profound benefits from this practice that they start and they confront their own mind at spewing out thoughts and taking them all over the place. And they genuinely think there's something wrong with them. You know, they really think that this is just, there is something fundamentally wrong with me. Other people meditate and they're just still and peaceful and I sit down and it's chaos in here. But I just want to reassure people that it's chaos. It is chaos in there. And that's the whole point. You meet the chaos of your mind and you start to train it with patience and kindness. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just envisage Angel, who's still a puppy. She's a year, but you can see her mind just like her attention span is quite short. She's very smart, but she'd be like, hmm? Oh, hmm? So that does actually make a lot of sense. Just super cute. Let's strike forward to now talking about how you built this business and why you left your career. I mean, that must have been pretty crazy at that time as a, a psychiatrist to go, actually, I think there's something that I need to be doing that's bigger and scaling to meet more people and making a real impact. So what was the instigator for you making that decision? Sometimes from the outside, things can look like they're a dramatic, sudden, courageous jump. But I think internally, things can often be brewing for a long time. And then by the time you actually execute and make a decision, there's a lot that's been going on behind the surface. So for me, I think it was probably a, you know, it was a number of years of sitting and staying in a situation that wasn't really my calling, you know, and that was very painful because I'm a very passionate person and I just, I want to make an impact in the world. So feeling that frustration was so, so painful, you know, the feeling of stuckness is got to be the worst. It's the worst. Um, so for me, it was like, I just had this intuition that going deeper and going on these retreats, which I went on was really going to help me to just look inside and listen and be still and hear, you know, and, and hear what, just trust myself more. So I did that for myself. And then through that, the power of that was so profound. And what I was learning was so rich. And I sort of was then coming back to work and I just wasn't as fulfilled. I was, I'd found my thing. So it really just, there was this moment where I was sitting in meditation one day it was after my training exams or final exams. I was like this far from finishing and I just had this idea, like I want to offer this because a lot of my patients couldn't afford to go on, you know, do some sort of $800 course or whatever. So the idea was I want to offer these tools widely and so the internet was a perfect place to do that. Um, I want to use my scientific background to kind of reach people that might be sceptical about this because I'm so convinced by this science. And I want to do this for a good cause because I've always been sort of quite a humanitarian. So it was like bringing meditation and fundraising together. So the idea is people 
join and they commit to 10 minutes a day and they dedicate their practice to something greater themselves, which is raising money to bring clean water to those in need. So I just started it as like a second life. I was chipping away. I decided to pull back on my work. And this is probably a great takeaway for people. For people that don't, you know, want to just take that wild leap, there is wisdom in doing it a bit slower. So for me, it was like, okay, I asked my boss, can I pull back some hours? So I actually had, I was working part-time as a doctor. They thought I was crazy. No one does that. Um, But nevertheless, so I pulled back. So I had more time. So I started chipping away. I started Mindful in May with a very playful attitude and it just, there was a response, you know, and I was meeting a need in the world and that was growing. And so it was almost like, it grew and grew and the momentum grew and I just couldn't do both. There was a moment like where I was entering to my next year of work and I started to feel difficulty breathing and I was like, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, these two things I can't do together. It's too much. So that was when I just decided I'm going to leave psychiatry. I can always come back to that, but I can't come back to this because this is being driven by me. And I just, and at that point it wasn't actually financially viable. So it was pretty, it was scary, but it also gave me the momentum to just have to make it work, which I think is quite useful. You know, when you put yourself in that situation where I've got to make this work and that was sort of the biggest growth year in the early days. So I think it's a combination of, you know, making wise decisions that don't have to be so extreme and finding your way of navigating through change that doesn't create so much fear that you get paralyzed and puts you in fight or flight too much because then you're not thinking clearly and you're not able to be creative. And then just, I think a really important point is being receptive to the feedback you're getting. A lot of people I see have come up with these ideas and invest so much money and they're not really receptive to actually, does the world need this, you know? So it's great to have an idea and a passion, but it has to meet a need in the world. I think that's when the fireworks happen. So glad you said that because even looking at my trajectory and the things that I've attempted and grown, whenever I've been 100% behind it and fully feeling like I'm serving people who need this as when everything's come together, you get into that state of flow, uh, you get momentum behind you, but you also get people just coming out of the woodwork to support you. And likewise, when you're doing it for the wrong reasons, usually often you know, I need the money or this just feels like a good idea or I, I think this is what I should be doing or what people tell me I should be doing just never works out. I'm such a strong believer in service. You know, I just think it's all about service. It's just how can I contribute to the world, to other people? You know, that's what it's about for me. And that's what it was about in psychiatry. But somehow along the way, I actually just felt like I wasn't serving enough. I wasn't the, I felt that I could make more impact, you know, and have more impact. And And yeah, it's about service and it feels great and it's so meaningful. And, you know, of course there's challenges because you have to earn a living as well, you know, and that, I won't lie, you know, that's, that's a challenge within this, you know, just because you're serving doesn't mean you're going to be able to support yourself. So that's been my edge, you know, to actually go, right, like I want to serve, but I got a kid now and I need to earn a living and, and, and not get burnt out because I have enough resources supporting me in doing this work. Yeah, that's absolutely huge of being too into your movement or putting too much energy into it where you do get burnt out and then you can't turn up and serve. And I know you've done an incredible job. Let's just touch on a few of the areas. So I know you do speaking. You obviously published your book, which is amazing. So we'll link to that below as well in the show notes. And you run Mindful in May once a year. And then, as you said, you sort of have this, I would say it's like a group meditation coaching program off the back of it. Yeah, called Um, the Mind Life Project. Yeah. 
nice. And um, and you do this massive, you know, mindfulness in May is, is a massive thing for you because you have to pull together all these expert speakers and put them on a platform and interview them. And then you're also got free meditations and paid meditations. And is there anything else that I've missed in there? That No, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And being a good mum, that's like a huge challenge as well, you know, I'm just sure being present to the... That. Yeah, and being present to the people that are like closest to you in your life, not being pulled away all the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, this has been so great. It's just inspired me more with my journey in meditation. And I love the idea of it's, you know, it really is exercise the mind and expanding it and allowing you to just deal with all those things that you talked about, you know, whether it's fear or sleep deprivation or anxiety or the sense of not knowing and, um, all those things that we are dealing with more and more, especially in a more connected world. And then on the flip side of that, all the benefits that come with it and show up really, really quickly. I was going to click my fingers, but they do. They're kind of like, oh, I just feel better. I manage my emotions better. I was calmer in that situation. I was happier. I was more present. I'm feeling more fulfilled. I've got this. I've got the resilience dialed in. So thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I will put the link below as well to Mindfulness in May um, and all the good things about Elise. Is there any final words that you wanted to leave people with who are, you know, hopefully more inspired now around just the power of meditation and then how it can transform their lives? Yeah, I do. I'd like to just say that if there's anyone listening who is sort of just getting into it or maybe has done it and feeling frustrated that why can't I have a happy, you know, why isn't it regular for me? I want to challenge you to actually commit to one minute a day. Just set your timer for one minute a day and see if you can do that for a week and then see if you can do it for another week. Um, because BJ Fogg, who I'm sure you're well aware of, he's the Stanford professor in behavior change. He was also one of the experts in Michael May a few years ago. He's an expert in habit formation. And he talks about if you want to start a habit, start it at the smallest possible commitment. So he even suggests do something that's going to take less than 30 seconds. So you might even do meditation for 30 seconds a day. And grow the habit from there rather than starting with too much and then feeling that you've let yourself down. So that's one tip. The second thing is that, you know, we're all human. I don't care who you speak to, however good they are at making habits, they're going to fall off track sometimes. You get sick, your kid gets sick, you're stressed, whatever. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with meditation. So if you fall off and you've lost touch with it for like a month, a year, whatever, doesn't matter. Just come back to it without guilt, without self-criticism. That has been the greatest revelation. And I think the people that I've taught have found that so helpful in just not giving up and actually coming back, coming back, coming back. Dr. Elise Value, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Elise. It was so much fun. It was so easy. She has so many insights. And I just love all the research that's been shown around meditation, which is such an incredible tool that we can do. And it's free. And all it costs you is time and energy. And the return on investment is massive. So I would love to know what you think of this episode. Please rate and review on iTunes or anywhere you're listening to this. Please share it. 
share it with a friend who needs to learn more about how they can incorporate mindfulness and meditation into their life to have more ease, to have more happiness and less stress and more focus. I mean, every single time I hear the benefits of meditation, it makes me want to do it twice a day or three times a day, which is totally possible, obviously. And don't forget to check out her five days to mindfulness challenge, or depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be mindful in May. Uh, so if you head to nataliesisson.com forward slash mindful, M-I-N-D-F-U-L, you will be able to come across and go to either of those events. I will update the link accordingly. And please, please do check out Elisa's work. All the show notes are over at nataliesisson.com forward slash 012. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untapped, where we're all about helping you tap into your potential and optimizing your life and work for the better.